0: You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. Um, So before we begin, um, I just want to read a couple of... uh, uh, Letters that kids wrote to God um, that I think can uh, start our conversation. So Neil writes, Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, I think the stapler is one of your greatest inventions, says Ruth. Elliot says, Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Robert says, Dear God, I am American. What are you? Nan says, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Mickey says, Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. Denise says, Dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton, because I hate her. (laughs) Larry says, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. (laughs) Rachel says, Dear God, if you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want, except my money or my chess set. Jonathan says, Dear God, if you let the dinosaurs not go extinct, we wouldn't have a country. You did the right thing. (laughs) Joe says, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. (laughs) And Joyce says, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. So just uh, a little, you know, something funny to get us introduced. I think those are real letters. I uh, found them on the Internet. And um, how I want to begin is uh, basically by saying that, is that um, um, the reason I think that this topic is so worth having a conversation about is because kids are natural theologians. They're naturally curious about, uh, about, uh, about God. Um, they are naturally curious about life. And that's uh, something that I think is important. And I want us to keep in mind in this conversation that when a kid asks a question about God, they're really asking a question about life. Um, I, I think that that's really true. Um, and so sometimes you get to sort of dig underneath the question to get to the, to what they're really asking about life. Cause it's usually under this veil of asking uh, a question of uh, usually sometimes a funny question, um, to our mind about God, but really they're asking about life, about what life means, about how to relate to the world that they, that they live in. Um, so I think that those are really important things to, uh, to, to keep in mind. The other thing I want us to keep in mind, and, and, uh, and I, and I do want to say, especially because this is being broadcast in cyberspace, that a lot of my thinking about this topic has been really shaped by my rabbi, uh, Brad Artson, um, who, uh, um, has, uh, has really opened my eyes to, to thinking about, uh, uh, how kids relate to God and about, uh, my role as a, as a Jewish parent. He's really my parenting Rebbe in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, so I owe a debt of gratitude to to him for for inspiring uh, some of what I'll say here. Um, And he emphasizes this, and I think this is really important. So a lot of times the temptation is that uh, when a kid asks a question about God or when a kid asks a question about Judaism, religion, or something like that, um, the response that a parent gives is, oh, that's a good question for the rabbi. And not that I want to... uh, Create less opportunity for people to come and see and spend time and talk to me and ask me. I hope you do, and and uh, and and I love it. Um, I want to invite you and encourage you not to outsource the questions. And the reason is, and this goes to the conversation we were having before the class started about the uh, the the study of um, American Judaism and the study of American religion in general is that the 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 rates of um, uh, being identifying not with a particular religious denomination, um, are rising and the rates of religious practice and religious identification are rising, especially among the young, all the more so the rates of people who decide to do something crazy, like become clergy. So what that means is that, um, that in our culture for a handful of sociological reasons that we don't need to get into now, um, Religion is 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 sort of a uh, a fringe category. It's something that uh, that only weird people do, right? and only weird people are serious about, and and only a certain subcategory of weird people are uh, are clergy. Which means that if you ask me a question, and I say, "Oh, I'm going to bring it to the rabbi." It means that it's only a question that really weird people think about. Right? And that's not true about these questions. Whether you self identify with a particular religion or not, these are all questions that all of us think about in one way, shape, or form all the time. And especially kids, right? And so the, I think one of the most damaging things that we can do is say, you know, this is, 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 is convey the message to, to our kids that, um, that only a, you know, a, a silly kind of person thinks about these questions. A serious person like your parents doesn't think about them. A serious person like your grandparents doesn't think about them. Um, we'll bring it to uh, we'll bring it to the rabbi. And I, you know, one of the reasons I, I say that is that you know I think of um, uh, uh, parents that I talk to. Uh, that uh, that are really nervous about their kids who have become more religious right and uh, and 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 they relate to their kids who become more religious almost in the same way that parents relate to their kids who are on the street and have become drug addicts right um, and, uh, and and I think that I don't blame them for things. I know that there's there, there's a lot behind that um, and there's 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 a different set of, uh, of issues than my kid who's become a drug addict um, but uh, but but it relates to this idea that uh, that, that Religion is not something a normal, healthy person really, you know, gets that serious about. You know, going to shul once in a while, okay. You know, waving a lulav and etrog on, on Sukkot. Now you're pushing it a little bit, right? Um, fasting on Yom Kippur, fifty percent of people do, right? Um, you break fast, everybody does, right? <laughs> but uh, um, even if you did, fa- even if you didn't fast, right? Uh, but uh, uh, but going to Tashlich, yeah, that's pushing it a little bit, right? So. Um, so that's, that's I think a, a really important piece of the conversation is, um, is, is recognizing, um, that even if it's being asked in a different way than you would have thought about the question, these are questions that all of us think about, um, and, uh, and, and therefore, um, uh, should be treated seriously because they're questions about life and about how, how, um, how our kids relate to, to the world. Um, so, There's that first. Okay. The second thing I want to say is that um, when a kid asks any question, um, but especially an important question like this, and and that's if there's one thing I want you to get out of this conversation, and and I'm going to talk a little bit at first, but you can jump in with your questions, and and I'm certainly going to leave space for conversation. Um, But uh, uh, when a kid asks any question, especially a question as serious as, as this, um, then that's what I want to uh, um, in, in impart to you is that these questions that kids ask aren't just, um, aren't silly questions. They're really serious questions because they're questions about um, how, how, the, how, how our kids are going to um, uh, uh, relate to the world in which they, li- they live, how they're going to um, uh, uh, um, experience and encounter that which can't be seen, um, which is despite um, a, an increasingly... Um, material and reductionist culture is a really important part of life. Um, it uh, it relates to issues of trust of, of parents and, and the world. And so these are really serious questions, um, which is I get well, one of the reasons why it's tempting to outsource them. Um, it's also tempting to uh, to not answer right, so um, or to say let me let me answer that later, uh, or let's talk about that another time. And so I want to say the time for answering questions is when they're asked. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to have the perfect answer at the moment that the question is asked. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't say from time to time, you know, that's a really serious and important question. Um, I haven't thought about that a lot yet. Either let's think about it together or give me some time to think about it because I want to take the question seriously. Um, those are okay answers. You don't have to, you know, give an answer. This will bring me to my next point in a second. But, um, um, uh you, know, you don't uh, um, uh, uh, you don't have to have the right answer at, at the moment you shouldn't say what you don't believe uh, but uh, but nevertheless the time I think for answering questions is when there is when they're asked which is also why um, outsourcing it is I think um, not the best approach um, the third thing that I want to say is that um, uh, the rabbi is not a bigger expert on life than you are I could give you Jewish sources. Right? I can uh, I can talk out things um, uh, but uh, but I don't know more about life than you do I don't know more about living than you do I don't know more about your child than you do um, right and and because questions about God I think are, are ultimately questions about life um, they, um, they they uh, require um, our, our children um, trusting us with um, with uh, um with with their with their like real life struggles and their real life issues right and uh you know so it would be one thing if this if if we were talking about how to you know fix a laptop and i and i was the genius bar and like you know right? there's a certain degree of like expertise on that on that particular um uh, piece of technology but this is a technology that all of us uh, have and all of us have our own wisdom and expertise on and uh, and and so um, uh, it's uh, a rabbi is not uh, does not have necessarily more expertise in life than, than, than you do um, may have thought about uh, uh, theology a little bit more but this is these aren't really questions about theology in in, in, uh, in the philosophical sense. Um, okay, so th- that's a few things I want to say about not outsourcing it. The second thing I want to say is that um, you shouldn't say what you don't know, and you shouldn't say what you don't believe. Okay, so that's the, that's the caveat in a way of the timeliness question of, uh, of answering the questions when they're asked, um, is that uh, kids are heat-seeking missiles of hypocrisy. said that before, and um, I think that actually is not my uh, formulation. I think that actually might be Rabbi Artson's formulation, but I think it's true. We all know it, right? That kids are heat-seeking missiles of hypocrisy. If you say something that you know is not true, um, but you feel like that's the thing that you're supposed to say, like a good Jew would give this answer, right? Uh, Or if you're listening in cyberspace, a good Christian, a good Muslim would give this answer, but you don't really believe that, right? Your kids will will we'll find that out sooner or later and it will be really bad for them and for you when they do. Um, so, uh, so that's a really important thing, right? Uh, and these are, because they're, they're serious and important questions about life, they're also questions about um, uh, whether they can trust the adults in their life um, to, uh, to help them navigate life, to keep them safe in life. Um, and, uh, and so uh, uh, lying to them, even if it's well-intentioned, um, and even if you have never really thought about it as a live specifically, but just as, just as something that you feel like you're supposed to say, but don't, don't really deeply believe it, um, then, uh, uh then, uh, then it's, then I think it could be really damaging. The, you know, the, uh, a lot of times, you know, that, uh, you know, th- there's a whole range of, uh, examples I can give to that, right? You know, everything from, um, you know, saying to some, uh, about someone who passed away, um. You know, I, I believe they're in a better place. Uh, that can, you might believe that, and if you do believe that, I invite you, right? But, but sometimes people say that even though they, they hadn't really thought it through and don't really believe it, right? Um, and, uh, and, and if you don't, um, then, uh, then it can be problematic. The, um, another one that, uh, that, that's really big, right? Um, we, we say it and repeat it and talk about it to our kids all the time um, about, uh, uh, about uh, there's one God. Right. Okay. Um, so I, I would invite you to explore why it is that Judaism says that we're supposed to believe that and whether or not you actually believe that. Um, so that's a, you know, and, and so, uh, um, uh, that's a, uh, um, it's actually philosophically a really challenging thing because if it's what, if there's one God, then, uh, then it means bad and good that happens in the world, um, uh, can't be outsourced to a different power. Um, Right, uh, that's one of the things that it means. Um, so, uh, uh, so we, you know, we we sort of uh, repeat that dogma, um, but uh, um, but we also often do it without really examining what it means. I'm not saying you shouldn't believe that. Um, I'm just saying that uh, that uh, that in response to a kid's question, I think that that this that this conversation, what I hope it does, is encourage you to to think a little bit more fully about what it is you actually believe. To, there are great books out there on uh, on uh, on on theology. There's no perfect theology because there's no perfect human reason and no perfect way of understanding what is, I think, uh, at its core, um, unknowable. Um, but uh, but there's great books. I uh, one book that just came out and, and we keep on talking about it, but I'll give him a plug here because I think it's a really important one. Um, uh, is a, a new book that Brad Artson wrote um, just came out the other day called uh, the the God of Relationship and Becoming, or something like that. Um, uh, something like that. Um, if uh, um, if you go on Amazon and look up uh, uh, Bradley Shavit Arts, and, um, uh, and the word God is the first one in the title. I think it's the only one of his books where the word God is the first one in the title. You'll find it. Um, and the premise of the book is a, is a theology that uh, is... Um, compatible with what we know to be true in the world, uh, scientifically and, uh, um, um, et cetera, right? A lot of, uh, theologies that are out there, um, try to make us choose between, um, whether we believe, uh, um, what we can believe scientifically is true or not. Um, and his premise is that, uh, that we should try to have a theology that makes sense with life. Um, so that's a good, and it's written for, uh, a broad audience, um, so it will be a, a really good one, but there's lots of great books out there and, and and you know on your reading list of things, you know you have a rotation of you know I'll read a Danielle Steele novel and then I'll read and then I'll read 50 Shades of gray and then I'll read maybe one day I'll read a literary fiction and then and then so in the rotation put a put a book of theology or two in there to, to think uh, um, a, a little bit or, more no please uh, think a little bit more about uh, uh, what it is you actually believe and um, and that you can't say what you don't know. Right? So um, so, it's also the caveat to the timeliness question is that if, when, when a kid asks you a question and you don't know the answer, it's okay to say to them, you know, that's a really serious and thoughtful question. I don't know the answer to that. Let's think about it together. Um, or what do you think? Right? Um, that's, a really, uh, that's a really important uh, um, question to bring back to, to our kids is when they're asking us, Sometimes they're asking for our answer, but really a lot of times, maybe more times, they're asking for an opening to tell for, for us to be able to listen and be receptive to and honor what they think or what they're thinking about right now. right? So saying to them, I actually don't know what my answer to that question would be, but I bet you have a really good thought about it. So what do you think about it? That's really important. For, for our kids to know not only that we care about what they believe and what they think and what they have to say, um, but that again that these questions are are important and and no one is the expert on these questions, not even their parents, and that uh, they can have as much expertise um, on these questions as as we do. I think that that's a really important thing. Um, which brings me to the next point. Tell them to keep asking those questions. Uh, because the good questions, the really big questions, are questions that need to be asked at each stage in life. Okay, so the question that uh, a four-year-old asks about God is going to be different than a question that a seven-year-old asks about God. It's going to be different than a question that a, uh, a 21-year-old asks about God. The questions might sound similar, but the way of relating to those questions and the way of, um, of, of uh, dealing with the answers and processing the answers is different at, at each of those stages. So, um, in addition to, uh, to saying, um, you know, to saying I don't know or I do know, whatever the answer is, say this is what I think, you can say this is what I think right now. But everybody um, uh, changes as they get older. And something really important uh, um, uh, that, uh, that, that we um, are always coming to understand new things about um, will uh, um, it doesn't always stay the same, and I hope your answers to these questions don't always stay the same. And uh, I hope that you'll keep asking me these questions, and I hope I keep asking you these questions so that we keep talking about it, so that we keep on growing together. I think that's really um, that, that's really important, right? The answers might change over time, right? right? We, we change, and so the answers will change too. Um, okay, some common questions that uh, that that kids ask that I think are worth bringing up um, and you may have heard variations of these from from your own kids or grandkids um, who made God and when did God start some version of that right? who made God and when did God start or where did God come from right I know I came from mommy's tummy right where did God come from um, so in part that's a question about the fact that um, that God is, uh, God, uh, we, can't, we can't see or touch or feel or hear God in the classic sense or in the biological sense of how we see, touch, hear, feel. So we talk about God as if God is a physically present entity, um, and yet we relate to God um, as if God is not a physically present entity right um, and that dissonance is very uh, hard I think for uh, for kids who um, who haven't yet reached a, an abstract uh, place of thinking right um, uh, it's hard for us um, in, in a lot of ways too um, in terms of our what we believe and also in terms of how we relate uh, uh, spiritually um, you know in, in prayer this comes up a lot right how do you how do you have a conversation with 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 someone who's not uh, physically present, in you know, in in class with, or I can have a conversation with someone who's not physically present on the telephone, but I know that they're at the other end, and I can hear their voice physically, right? Uh, In in uh, in in a way, I'm biologically programmed to hear another human being's voice, Um, but it doesn't work that way with God, which makes prayer, I think, very hard for a lot of us, um, myself included, Uh, and so. That's involved in this question about where did God, uh, who made God, when did God start? Right? Um, uh, Kids are very savvy to to that. Um, So, part of my answer to that question um, is that um, things that are physical have to start; they have a beginning and an end. Um, Although that's actually scientifically, that's not actually true. Right? We know that. uh, that uh, uh, matter is neither created nor destroyed. Um, that's problematic in some theologies, uh, but, uh, but scientifically, no matter. So if, if this is a question, we'll, next time um, uh, we'll gather, um, the topic is talking to kids about death, and this is part of the death conversation too. Um, and I really believe it, that uh, that, that, uh, that after we die, we're not really gone. Um, because in a real sense, that our, what made us up is still present in the world. Um, physically speaking, and uh, in terms of our, our energy—if you want to call it our spirit—but our energy, that uh, our energy can't be created or destroyed either. So that means when we die, our energy is still present in the world too. Um, uh, so, uh, so that's part of that conversation. Um, but so, but, but in 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 a in a more limited view uh, or in a more concrete view, right? Everything that's physical also where right, We're born and then we die, um, and think. But so. Kids are savvy to that, but things that aren't physical don't have to start, right? And don't have to end, right? Love, justice, uh, compassion, dignity, respect, right? Um, those things don't start and end. Those things just are. Um, so one of my favorite stories um, is, I think it's from uh, Rabbi Harold who, uh who is one of the leading... Um, uh, congregational rabbis of uh, the 20th century. He was in uh, uh, Los Angeles, um, and he tells a story of uh, of his uh, kid asking, <clears throat> you know, at bedtime, um, uh, um, how do I how do I touch God? Or we saying, I don't you know I, I don't know if God's real because I can't touch God. And uh, and Rabbi Shalway says, well, is love real? And uh, and the child says. Yeah, love is real. Says, so, well, how do you know if you can't touch love, right? Um, and uh, and 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 the kid understood, and I think that that's a really good answer to the question. Right, you can't touch love, you can't touch goodness, you can't touch um, <coughs> uh, respect, you can't touch. Um, any of those uh, um, uh, non-physical things—they can't be touched, they can't be heard, they can't be seen. You can witness them act. They, you can witness the presence of them in the world in actions, right? Um, so a hug can can express love. A kiss can express love. Um, a heart can symbolize love, right? But those aren't actually love. Those are just express, right? So in the same way, right? We can't feel, touch, hear God. Uh, God physically, but I can, I can point to uh, where God is in the world, right, um, in much of those same uh, scenarios, right? Uh, uh, the, the, I think a beautiful, maybe not one to talk about kids, but one that's coming to mind now is um, the video of the Boston Marathon bombing, where you have people f- uh, um, fleeing the, the, the terrifying scene, but then a wave of people rushing toward the bomb site to help as first responders, Right? I think that that is a physical manifestation of God in the world right um, and I would be very comfortable I don't know about using that example in a, in a kid but I was talking to an adult about how do I how do I see God's presence in the world um, I, I feel very comfortable saying that that that's something that I you know that, that that wouldn't be something I don't know or something that I don't really believe I believe that that's a manifestation of God in the world um, I don't believe that those people are God in in a classical sense of, of that statement. Um, I don't think that, uh, um, uh, but I do think that they are um, uh, reflecting God in the world. Right? I think that they are doing; they are a manifestation of God in the world. So, uh, Or that action is a manifestation of God in the world. So the question of who made God and when did God start, the answer that I would give um, is, that, uh, is that because God isn't physical, that doesn't make God not real. Right? And, that, uh, and that God is as real in the world and in our lives as, as love is. Um, right? so, uh, um, so I would uh, uh, utilize that uh, uh, direction of answering that question. The second question that I, I often hear from kids um, uh, is a similar one. If I can't touch God, how do I know God is real? If I can't touch God, how do I know God is real? Right? And again, you can't touch love, but you know love is real. The third one, did God make everything, even the dinosaurs? Did God make everything, even the dinosaurs? So this is a really challenging one, especially because um, for good reasons, we try to teach our stories to our children, um, and, um, and our stories aren't designed to be science, they're designed to be stories. That communicate values and lessons, but we teach them um, sometimes because kids are concrete learners. We teach them in such a way that gives off the impression that they are facts, they are their histories, right, or that they're science. Um, So I have kids ask that question all the time, right? If God created the world in seven days, then uh, um, you know when did God create the dinosaurs, right? And I had that when I was uh, a little bit older. I think it was in like fifth grade, and we were. Doing, I was. I went to a Jewish day school, and we were doing um, biology and, and science, and we were learning about uh, um, uh, carbon dating. It was earth science, and we were talking about um, the age of the Earth, and we were talking about fossils and carbon dating, and whatever. And uh, and a Chabad rabbi who taught in, in our school, um, we we um, uh, we asked him that question. Say, God created the world in seven days, and how do we have fossils that are sixty five million years old? And his response is that. Um, God put those fossils uh, there to test our faith, right? Uh, Now, there may be people who believe that and I suppose you can't really prove that that's not true um, but it, but it, uh, it, it, sent me into an, uh, um, uh, an anti-Jewish part of my life for a very long time, uh, that I only regained really when I was in high school. Um, and I imagine it does for a lot of people as well. Sometimes they never really regain it. Um, because if we're asked, you know, this again goes back to that population study, right? If we're, if we're asked to Um, to choose between, um, what we're told is supposed to be our faith and what we know to be true, um, uh, scientifically. And there's all the reason in the world to believe the scientific account because science has given us and afforded us, um, so much. We can, we can see the impacts and effects and realities of science in, in our lives, right? Um, in the same way, uh, 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 the Torah never, uh, made a PC. Right. The, the the Torah never made a vaccine, right? So if I'm going to choose whether I believe in science or whether I believe in the in the uh, um, uh, literal historicity of the Torah, I'm going to believe in science because I I would prefer to have you know the, the flu shot. Thank you very much, right? Um, <laughs> but i don't think that we have to choose that cuz i don't think that that's what the torah is about i don't think the torah is giving us a history and i don't think the torah is uh, is giving us a scientific uh, uh analysis of how the world came to be um i think that the that the torah is teaching us values i think that religion is teaching us values um i think that that, that our stories are meant to be um uh, uh the the way in which we um relate to and uh, and navigate the deep questions of of our lives um, sometimes it's phrased as uh, um, uh, science talks about uh, how or what, and, and religion talks about why. I think that, that categorization doesn't hold true uh, across the board, but it, it, in, uh, it, on, on one foot, I think that's a fair way of putting it, right? Science science is talking about what and how, and religion is talking about why. So in saying, did God make everything, even the dinosaurs? And the question is really, you know, um, the Torah says God made the world in seven days, but I, you know, it doesn't seem like that's true. Um, uh, I think that uh, we can say to our kids that, uh, that, um, that, that that's not what the Torah is about. Um, the Torah is about how we become good people. And so if we read the Torah with the assumption that it's about how we become good people, then what do you think um, the Torah is trying to teach us by saying God created the world in seven days and by saying that, uh, that, that God um, created the world through speech, does it tell us that uh, that that our words can create worlds and that our words can destroy worlds? Does it is it saying that uh, um, that the uh, that God's objective in the world is to create a world of, of peace and and order to um, to help uh, uh, help fix those things that are that are broken and chaotic and uh, and, uh, and, and, turbulent in, in our world, right? Uh, and that, um, in that the creation story says that we're created in God's image, right? Does that mean that we're supposed to be partners with God in doing that, right? Uh, does, uh, does the creation story, um, which, uh, talks about us being created in God's image, does that mean, um, that, uh, that, that every person, um, has, uh, um, uh, should be given the same level of uh, respect and honor that we would give to God. Right? These are the values that are communicated, I think, in our creation story. And it's not telling us, um, uh, you know, what what date the world was created on, um, or uh, um, or you know, with what stuff it was created. So, did God make everything, even the dinosaurs? I would say yes. Um, does the Torah talk about the dinosaurs? No, because the Torah is not talking to dinosaurs, the Torah is talking to us. Right? And the Torah is not about them, it's about us. So we can know the dinosaurs. We can also learn from science, too. We can learn from what happened to the dinosaurs, right? If we see an asteroid coming for us, maybe we can learn how to shoot it out of the sky. We need a government to be able to do that, and the government program to shoot the asteroid out of the sky is shuttered because of the shutdown. We need a government to do that, but uh, right? Um, uh, but uh, uh, So we can learn from science, too. So these are two different ways of learning about uh, about life. Um, so, uh, so those are three of the questions that uh, that I've heard very often. Uh, but now I want to open it up to you guys uh, uh, for questions that you've heard that you that you've struggled with, questions that you have about this, or comments. Yeah.
1: From a ten-year-old, what does God look like? Hmm. Mm. And I, you wanna know what I said? Mm-hmm. I said, uh, Do you have a picture of God in your mind? What do you think? And he said, Sort of. And I said, it, it was very quiet. I said, is it of a man sitting in it? he said, yeah, sitting in a chair, there's a beard. I said, a lot of people think that way. I said, I don't think there's a person up there, an image. I said, you know how the clouds move around? It's sort of vague. There isn't a thing. Well, he found that very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I think it is the goodness that we have. And that really was too yeah. empty. So I said, but... A lot of people in science have a very religious feeling and think that there really is a very strong power of God because there's so many mysteries in life and in the world that to explain them is beyond us and when we say God, it's one of the good. Well that was the end of the conversation, but it's not a very satisfactory answer.
0: It wasn't to him or it wasn't to you? To
1: me, to me. I don't know what God looks like. Uh-huh. Either.
0: Yeah. I've thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds to me like your answer was great. Um, uh, it, and sometimes you won't know in the moment whether the answer is satisfying to, to them, right? So you do the only thing you can do is the best you can. But it sounds like you had a great answer. You know, the the, um, the 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 abstraction of the concept of God is very difficult uh, depending on the developmental stage that, uh, that, that the kids are in. Um, as, as kids get older and moving into early adolescence it becomes easier to talk about, uh, you know, abstract concepts and, um, and you know, uh, powers and forces and, you know, things like that. In- infinity, right, is a concept that we don't really get until uh, we're a little bit older. Um, so uh, sometimes it helps to, to say, you know, um, God isn't really um, uh, uh, anything or anyone. But if it helps you to picture a certain image in thinking about God, then, um, then I think that's okay. We, in Judaism, we do that all the time, right? The Rosh Hashanah liturgy has a, a, a series, one a famous uh, liturgical poem has a series of, uh, you know, we are clay in the hands of the potter. Right? We are, um, we are a ship in the hands of a captain. We are, uh, a canvas in the hands of an, of an artist. We are glass in the hands of a glass blower. Right? Um, if, it- Imagine God as each of those different things, and us in relation to God as each of those different things, right? Avinu volcano, God our Father, God our. King, right, we've done that in Judaism um, throughout. Um, Christians have it a little bit easier, right? They have a, a very concrete image of, uh, of of what God looks like, although there are major problems with that point of view. I, I like the way Judaism has better, which is um, which is uh, um, uh, having concrete images but having a lot of different ones to choose from and uh, and, and having them um, uh, available for reference at different times of our life and different times of the year because we need to relate to God in different ways at different times. Um, so we could say that to kids, say God isn't one thing or one person, uh, but depending on what we need from God at a given moment, it might be helpful to think of God as a certain kind of individual.
1: Well, there's another aspect to this, because other members of this family have the crucifix as their idea of God. Mm-hmm. So I think this child is thinking, hmm, "What is which, which is God? What What is this God? And the other is much easier. Of course. Therefore, it's more of a challenge. But it's also, I think, much harsher, the suffering. So look at that. Something that I have never been able to grasp.
2: Your story, may I just tell please, you? Please, please. And just not serious, and a yeah. five or six-year-old child in Sunday school who comes home with a picture, and its mother said, "That's wonderful, but tell me what is it?" Well, this is blue, this is sky, and this is grass, and this this figure, stick figure, a beard, and and that's God. She said, "Well, I see the sky and I see the grass, but." I don't really know what God looks like. He said, look, now you do. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: You know, this is a tough one. I mean, you know, I, when, when I, I sometimes go to the kindergarten and and, uh, and have the conversation with God about them, and, and I often get, you know, is God a boy or a girl, right? And that's a tough one, too, uh, because I don't really believe God is a boy or a girl because I don't think uh, God is a... Uh, uh, is. Uh, uh, um, is subject to those categories, right? I don't think God is a combination boy or girl either, again, because I don't think God is subject to those categories, but for, 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 a, for, a, uh, for a kid, um, uh, that the, the concept of, uh, of, um, of, of thinking beyond what they see and relate to on a day-to-day basis um, is, uh, is very hard until they get a little bit older. Um, and so I, I say, you know, sometimes it's helpful to think of God as a, a, a boy, and sometimes it's helpful to think of God as a girl. God isn't either of those things, um, but depending on, uh, on on what we want to say to God um, or what we want to hear from God, um, uh, God can be uh, either one of those things. Yeah. am oh, sorry. Oh, I just,
2: I'm sorry. I, I feel... Usually This is silly, I guess, but Judaism is too sophisticated for children. I mean, it, it's the, it's too abstract. Mm-hmm. And what bothers me? My grandchildren go to a Jewish day school, and they speak about God as a tangible something. Yeah. And I keep thinking, this is how are they, when are they going to outgrow that? When are they, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it is a bad. Thing. I have very mixed feelings about. I mean. I, it's not, uh, I was going to say letting them. I have nothing to do with it. I just observe. Right. But I am disturbed by their constant referring to a specific thinking that no. this is a tangible something, and, and um, do they outgrow that? Why are we teaching something that they have to outgrow? It's a great conflict for me. Yes. I, to that point, our kids went to the preschool
1: here and went through a lot of conversation about God is everywhere. That That came... I mean, I wouldn't have disagreed, but I know it came home from the school and they had a great time. I'm sitting on God. He's in my mouth. He's he's in my bedroom floor, you know, but they were able to somehow make that meaningful to them. They didn't need a physical image of an individual at a young age to do that. I don't know that if you played it out, you know, but that would mean thus and such and that would mean this might not be true. But they were comfortable with the idea that God is sort of an
0: abstract, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but presence. Yeah, I, I, I've experienced that too. Um, you know, so I have a couple of conflicting things to say about your question, which is a great question. The first is um, that, uh, that, that Judaism is a sophisticated religion. And uh, for a lot of people who, uh, who sort of check out of Jewish life at their bar or bat mitzvah, um, they assume that Judaism um, is only appropriate for people up to age 13. Right? And it's a huge loss because the real richness of the tradition, um, I think, is best appreciated uh, by adults in some ways. And it was uh, written and designed for uh, for, for adults. Um, so that's one thing I want to say. Um, the second thing I want to say is that sometimes what we provide for our kids in in, uh, in, in in our educational environments, um, are things that they um, don't really believe, uh, and so that when they come of an age where they actually are able to think more critically about these things, they say, you know, like that's for that's that that's nonsense. That's for silly people, right? That's child stuff, right? Um, so it's a. It's a mutually reinforcing kind of thing uh, that, that we have going on, and uh, and, and it's very challenging, um, which is why I think it's really important as parents um, to, uh, to make sure that our kids know that these are serious questions that adults think about, too, and that the answers change uh, over time as we get older because we learn new things and we experience different things. So I think that that's really important to keep on uh, bringing up. Um, uh Listen, I think that Judaism, uh, I think that the abstractions um, aren't totally ungrasp- ungraspable by by kids, right? Um, and uh, the notion that, that God is everywhere, I- I've seen also kids, you know, really have a good time with and uh, and, and really get behind. I think they, now, you know, um, over time that concept will evolve with them uh, and they'll relate to it in different ways. They may end up rejecting it. Um, but but I think that the, there are certain um, uh, abstract concepts that uh, that the kids can relate to in concrete ways, right? And that's one of them. Right? God is in my mouth. God is in my chair. God is in my right. Um, that's okay. I believe that too, right? Um, so um, that's the first. The second is that um, that Judaism, I think, does a good job of trying to balance the abstractions with uh, the with, with with the concrete and the personal, right? So. Um, to to just sort of uh, um, to create straw men of this, and these, this is going to um, reduce mm-hmm. these traditions in ways that I don't think is fair to them. But uh, but but Christ- Christianity um, is a has a very concrete and personal theology right you can uh, you have a a very concrete image of what god looks like in christianity although they have the concept of the trinity too so god defies that one iteration god is more than just that um but there's a con you can you can see what god looks like at least in one manifestation of christianity islam on the other hand is very abstract right um so there's there's a you know you can't uh, there 's no uh personification of God in Islam. you know sometimes it talks about he or she, um, but God is defined uh, by uh, epithets like you know the compassionate, the merciful, the powerful the right, which are all sort of abstract concepts. Judaism is somewhere in between, right We have very personal um, relationships to God um, and also very abstract relationships to God so we can 't draw a picture of God um, but we can. Um, uh, describe God, right? Like I said in the high holiday service as being a king right okay well that's a picture of god even if it's a picture in our mind right there's a picture of a king that we all get when we say god is the king of the world right um and it is sort of hard to escape that you know old bearded man sitting on the throne image um when the when that's the terminology we use um on the other end it's not the only image of god that we have and uh, and that's where the philosophical tradition in judaism comes in to say that we we those are all um Metaphors to talk about ways we relate to God and ways we experience God, but aren't accurate descriptions of what God is. Right? Um, Maimonides says you can't describe what God is; you can only describe what God is not. So you, say, you know, God is um, God is not not a king. Right? Um God is not not compassionate, right? That's all you can say about God according to Maimonides. Um uh, but that's that's not for kids. So I think for kids you could say you know, God isn't um God is everywhere and God is uh not just one thing. Um but uh, sometimes it's helpful to, sometimes it's helpful to think of God as a king. Sometimes it's helpful to think of God as a parent, sometimes it's helpful to think of God as a mommy, sometimes it's helpful to think of God as a uh, as a friend right um and, uh, and and having that concrete image to go along with um, a, a more abstract notion that we can grow with is a, I think a, a really good thing that we have in Juju. All right, so um, I think we're we're out of time, um, and uh, I, I'm going to shut off the thing. And I'm happy to uh, to stay and schmooze about this uh, a little bit longer. Uh, but I hope that this was uh, fun. I hope that this was helpful. Um, you know, I think that the the biggest thing I would uh, I, I'd say is that uh, that um, that our kids are naturally curious about life. They're natural theologians. They have great um, imaginations, um, and uh, the the um, the most damage we can do as parents is uh, is to uh, um, treat their questions as um, as, uh, as as silly questions and as uh, meaningless questions. And uh, the best thing that we can do is uh, take what they're saying and what they're asking um, uh, uh, very seriously um, and, uh, and and with a sense of uh, of honesty from our part in answering them. Um, so I wish you uh, I wish you luck. I wish you uh, a lot of great conversations, and uh, I wish you, best of all, a, uh, a great day.